the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary into heaven is August 15th. So what does that mean? Three new priests will be ordained, and God has called home two faithful servants. School starts back for many. Are you ready? These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop Parks. John, it's great to be with you today. You were up in Home Assassin not too long ago for an installation of, of a new priest into his parish. That's correct. You know, my ability to get out into the diocese, which I love to do and and visit our parishes, has been somewhat limited recently because of the coronavirus and continuing to try to care for my foot, which is still healing. But I was able to get up to uh, St. Thomas the Apostle Parish this past weekend to install Father Glenn Diaz as the pastor there. Father Glenn's been serving as administrator for two years, and this weekend we made it official. So it was great to go up there to celebrate Mass. We actually blessed their altar because they added a new altar stone or top to it. So we blessed that and then installed uh, you know, Father Glenn as pastor. The last time I was there, it was almost two years ago. So when you were first installed here. Pretty shortly after that. But uh, one of the things I did on my first pastoral visit there was to plant a tree. I, I think they said it was a cypress tree, but it looks more like an evergreen to me. Right. Anyway, I, I planted it out in front of the uh, church and was happy to see, John, that the tree is still alive. D- so. Despite all the droughts <laughs> and the and the storms that we've had, it's still growing. It's still growing, and, and actually it's thriving, so that was good to see. When you go up that way, you know, that's a that's a good distance. Not as big as your brother's new diocese is going to be, I might add. We only have the five counties. He's got 60. I, I know it, it's good for you and for the people of God up in that part of our diocese to get to see their bishop. Homosassa, it was probably our 15 minutes, hour and a half each way to, to get up and then to get back. It's in located in Citrus County, which is the northernmost county of our diocese. And John, I love going up there. It's just a beautiful area. It was an easy, relaxing drive to to get up to the parish. And it's just beautiful. It's kind of a little bit out in the country. Reminds me a little bit of my previous diocese where I served in Pensacola, Tallahassee, which had a lot of kind of small rural parishes. And they had a, a little reception afterward, kind of box lunch type reception. And everybody was socially distant, but it was still nice to be able to, to see people and to at least say a few words to them and to let them know that their bishop loves them and that I'm praying for them. If you'd like to check out some of the photographs, you can go to our diocesan Facebook page. And of course, you can follow uh, Bishop Parks on his Twitter account. I know that you posted some there. It looked like a good crowd. It did. It was uh, probably a little bit bigger than what they've been having on Sunday as, you know, when the, the bishop comes, as they right. say, either either people like to go or they stay away. Right. <laughs> In this case, probably a few more came on Sunday morning, but it was still safe and socially distanced. And, and yeah, I do, I do post those types of things on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Father Diaz has been up there for a, a little while, I believe. Two years. I assigned him there two years ago as administrator. Again, we just that made it made him pastor. So. so when a priest gets he's installed, what does that mean canonically? So my practice as bishop has been when I assign a priest to a parish who's never been a pastor before, 
but it's my hope and intention that they will be. I, I make them an administrator, so parochial administrator for at least a year. And then after a year, if they it's a good situation for them and for the parish, uh, we look to to make them pastor. I, I don't recall why it's been two years for, for Father well, Diaz. Well, there's been a lot going on. Yeah, he's done a great job there. And But the difference is canonically, when you're named a pastor, then you have canonical rights and responsibilities that go along with that. So it's a more permanent situation and title, whereas an administrator is envisioned to be there for a relatively short time and then could be assigned somewhere else or could be named pastor. You're up there in the uh, what a lot of people in the Hillsborough Pinellas counties consider up in the northern part of the diocese, even though it's only an hour and a half, two-hour drive at the most. But we lost two priests over the last week. Father James Bucaria, who was at Our Lady of Sorrows, his last parish was at Our Lady of Sorrows in Masaryk Town, which is in Hernando County. And, of course, Monsignor George Cummings, who passed away at the, the great age of 102. Uh, both men served well here in our diocese. And, in fact, I don't know if you knew this, Father Bucaria also did a couple of broadcasts from the cathedral with Mary Jo Murphy for some of our cathedral events. No, I didn't didn't know that, John. But yes, as you said, two wonderful servants of, of God and, and served the priesthood and, and their people very, very well. You know, Father Bucaria was 75 when he passed away, and he had served for a priest for 48 years. He was originally ordained for the Diocese of Ogdensburg, but then incarnated here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg in 1990. As you mentioned, for 23 years, he served as pastor of St. Mary, Our Lady of Sorrows in Masaryk Town, until he retired in 2014. I have to be honest, I, I know I had met Father Bukaria on, on a number of occasions, but didn't really get to know him very well. The other priest who passed away, as you mentioned, Monsignor George Cummings. Monsignor Cummings was 102 years old, John. Mm. I had the great blessing of being at his 100th birthday celebration at his parish, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, a couple of years ago. And it was just a very joyful event. It was attended by uh, many priests who know and love Monsignor Cummings, as well as the faithful who he has served and come to know over the years. But boy, does he have a history. Man. In fact, he, <laughs> when you read his, um, his obituary and his history, you see that he served all over the state of Florida. You know, he was born in, in 1918. And so at that time, the uh, state of Florida, I think, was just one diocese at that point. And so he served actually down in Miami. He served in Orlando. He served in uh, the Diocese of Venice for about 20, what's now the Diocese of Venice, for about 20 years. But when our diocese was formed in 1968, he incarnated here as a priest. And the majority of his priesthood here was spent as pastor of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Citrus Springs. And then Monsignor retired in 1991, but still remained active for, for many years. Sure. He was really a pioneer in our state because, as you said, at the time there was only one diocese, and he helped start a number of parishes. He was at fairly new parish down at Venice, Epiphany Parish, which became the cathedral. It did become the cathedral. I understand. I didn't know this, but he helped to establish Archbishop Curley High School in Miami as well. And probably uh, of note here in our diocese, he founded Good Council Camp. 
uh, Camp Good Council, which is in Floral City, and which still exists today. But he founded that, I, I think, back in the 40s. Right. And it still exists today. Unfortunately, this summer, we weren't able to have camp there because of the COVID-19 virus. But he loved that camp, and he loved working with young people. A little bit of a side story, my brother, uh, now Bishop-elect Stephen Parks, going to Savannah, actually served at Good Council Camp, or Camp Good Council, one summer while he was a seminarian for Orlando, and he served at Good Council, and happened to be the summer that Bishop-elect Toops was also a counselor there, and also Father Malley, and I think Father Palka from our diocese were serving that summer as well, so kind of a history, a long history there, which even touches on the Parks family. Well, he did a video with, I believe, Frank Murphy from our office here at the Pastoral Center, and he talked about all the years that the seminarians would come up, and that was part of their assignment, was to work at the camp, because he was one of the the old school, I'll say, that believed that the, the kids needed the outdoors to grow an appreciation for God's creation. And boy, certainly that was evident. Kind of a, an interesting story. I, I actually, John, just spoke with Monsignor Cummings about a month and a half ago. It was a day or two after he celebrated his 102nd birthday. One of the things we talked about was Tomahawk Lodge. I don't know if you know what that is. Have but you been there? I have not had the opportunity, but uh, it's actually a a property which is about 30 minutes away from uh, Camp Good Council, and it's located technically in the Diocese of Orlando, but it is owned by by the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And Monsignor Cummings shared with me that the materials that were used to build the lodge were actually bricks from a hotel in Ocala, which was being torn down. And he made arrangements for the bricks to be trucked over, you know, truckloads brought over to the site where Tomahawk Lodge would be built. He would have the young people actually come and scrape the mortar off of the old bricks so that they could be used again to construct the lodge. One thing he told me, though, he said, you know, Bishop Parks, he said before they could go and jump in the river and have fun and enjoy, they had to do a little bit of work first. Right, so, right, right. But, uh, but that, I thought that was an interesting story. One of his big hobbies, too, was taxidermy. I don't know if you knew that. I did uh, because two years ago when I went up for his 100th birthday, they had, well, no, they had a number of them. They, I guess they had brought them to the parish center or parish hall where the lunch celebration was. And he actually showed them to me and explained a little bit about each one. But yeah, there were all kinds of different animals there, boars and all kinds of things, wild boars. He was truly an outdoorsman and uh, just kind of a renaissance man, really, I think. He really was. I I had a quick story. I had a chance to go up and visit with him and and do a little recording. And he took me over to his house and his shop where he did... If you've ever been in a taxidermist shop, it can be a little uh, intimidating because there's all kinds of hides and just crazy things in there. And he he loved that kind of work. And we talked about hunting and fishing and just really, he's going to be sorely missed by a lot of people. He sure will, and as will Father Bukhari, and so I ask uh, our, uh, the people to please pray for them, you know, for the repose of their souls and to give thanks for the gift of their lives and their priesthood. Now, the good news is, despite that we, we lost two priests, we're ordaining three August 15th, Deacon Joshua Bertrand, Deacon Connor Penn, and uh, Deacon Drew Woodkey. 
That's correct. So again, at this particular time, we're celebrating a couple of funerals for priests, but we're also welcoming in three new priests for our diocese. And what a what a day of blessing and day of joy that will be uh, Saturday, August the 15th at the Cathedral of St. Jude to welcome these three young men, these three deacons uh, into the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's going to have a little bit different look because it's not going to be packed like it normally is. No, because of the COVID-19 concerns, of course, we've had to limit the attendance. So it it is a ticketed event by invitation only. And probably total number of people, including priests that might be there and servers and family and friends, no more than, say, 350 to 400 people which is a pretty small amount compared to what we usually would have at an ordination during usual times. Sure, and the guys come from, uh, a lot of them come from larger parishes, so typically a lot of people come from those parishes, won't be the case, but you can watch it on Facebook, on our diocesan website at dosp.org. The event starts at 11 o'clock, so be sure to to tune in and of course they'll be going back to their home parishes and celebrating masses the next day. They, They will, and also, you know, just for information, we put in some protocols. You'll, you know, all the priests who attend, and we've asked the faithful who are there to wear masks. And also, the priests will be sanitizing their hands, for example, after they lay hands on those to be ordained, both before and after they do that. Each priest and uh, the bishop will will sanitize their hands. So there will be protocols in place to make sure that everybody remains safe and that it's uh, truly a, a day to celebrate. At a typical Mass that I, I've attended, we don't have the passing of the peace. The words are said, but uh, no one is turning around shaking hands at, at, at this time. But I know at an ordination, they do that. Each priest comes by Will that still take place? It will. Again, we we want to maintain as much of the ritual, as much as the rite of ordination as we can. And so it it is a very special moment when the priests, well, the bishop and then the priests come forward to give the newly ordained what we call the kiss of peace or a sign of peace. Now, this year probably it'll be done a little bit differently instead of a, a regular hug that you would normally give somebody as a sign of peace in that case might be more of a more formal kind of almost a, a stiff armed sure. you know so, <laughs> you know arm. Uh, extended arm type embrace uh, wearing masks so but i think it's important to have that as still as part of the ritual because they do become part of the brotherhood of priests now with that we've got three coming in and i heard at a staff meeting recently that our vocations director father chuck dornquist announced that we have seven new seminarians that will be going to the seminary uh, this fall. So that's good news, and you hope, God willing, that in about seven or eight years they will be uh, back here at the cathedral. That's great news for our diocese. We, we accept them into formation, and sometimes they discern that they're not called to priesthood. So this year, though, we accepted seven new seminarians into formation. Six of them will be starting their studies in formation at St. John Vianney Seminary in Miami. One will be starting in what we call pre-theology. That'll be at St. Vincent de Paul in Boynton Beach, because that particular seminarian uh, already has a degree from college, so he doesn't have to take college-level courses. He'll go right into studying theology. But yeah, very, very good men. Most of them are young men, I would say in their early 20s, even 20 years old, come from varying backgrounds with various experiences. But I would say one common thread is that they all either have served in types of ministry and service to the church 
And that's something that they share in common, which is always a good sign <laughs> as somebody discerns service to God as, as a priest. Now, speaking of service, there's also a, an ordained role called a deacon. How does a deacon differentiate from a priest? Well, a diaconate is one of the three orders or stages of holy orders, of course, deacon, priest, and then bishop. Deacons are ordained for service to the church, and so they assist at the liturgy, they assist the priest or the bishop, but they're also called to serve the poor to, through acts of charity, acts of love and generosity to serve the poor in their communities. They're called to teach and to preach as well. It does differ from the priesthood. Priests are ordained to celebrate the sacraments uh, of our faith with the faithful, although deacons can uh, actually marry uh, a couple, uh, perform the sacrament of marriage as long as it's uh, done within the context of the Mass that a priest is celebrating, or outside Mass, a, a deacon can celebrate that rite of, of marriage as well. Mm-hmm. And baptism, I think. And they can all, correct, they, I'm sorry, they can also baptize as well. Yeah. Now, of course, our listeners may have heard about the permanent diaconate, which could either be married or unmarried men who are called to serve as deacons for the rest of their lives. So that is uh, something that also happens. Yeah, that's typically when I picture a deacon in the permanent state, they're usually middle-aged, anywhere from their mid-30s to, uh, you know, in their 50s. Typically, they're married. I guess they either had a called throughout their life, but not called to be the priest, called to, to a, a different vocation. That, that's correct. I mean, we have many uh, permanent deacons here in our diocese that serve, as, serve in our parishes primarily, but also in other ministries in the church, and uh, most of them do. They have wives, they have children. Now, something that's kind of interesting that listeners may not know is that when a deacon is married, if his spouse passes away, uh, he's not permitted to remarry. So he would be called to remain celibate for the rest of his life. So that is something that we do include as part of their formation to make sure that they understand that they would then be called to a celibate life once their spouse passes away. And the spouse understands that too. Yes. (laughs) So so it might be a little out there for you, but if the spouse passes away, can the deacon apply and be accepted as a priest? Uh, sure, they could. If yeah, definitely they could. Um, just as if a, a man's spouse passes away and he feels called to the priesthood, you know that that's another way that it could happen. But yes, I mean, in essence, or technically, a, a permanent deacon could then petition uh, the bishop to be accepted for formation to priesthood and could be ordained a priest. The ordination is taking place on August fifteenth, the feast of the Assumption. Can you explain that? Because there's a lot of confusion with that. And it's sort of a late dogma, I'll call it. Is that correct? That's correct, John. In fact, it was the most recent dogma that has been proclaimed uh, in the Catholic Church. It was proclaimed in 1950 by Pope Pius XII. And what the dogma, what a dogma is, it's, it's an official teaching of the church, so it becomes part of our faith. And it is something that the faithful are required to believe. They don't just happen on a whim. I mean, it's something generally that has been believed by the faithful for many years or even centuries. But a, a pope, uh, using the infallibility that he has regarding teachings on faith and morals, can declare it a dogma or an official teaching of the church. What the assumption is, is our belief that when Mary, when her earthly journey was finished, that she was assumed into heavenly glory, body and soul. 
where she is now uh, with her son and where she intercedes for each one of us. But there's no specific reference in the Bible about that. That's just more of a tradition that the church has accepted. Yeah, there's no, unlike the ascension of our Lord, which we do have accounts of in in the Bible and sacred scripture, there is no official account of Mary being assumed into heaven. But from a theological standpoint, given the fact that she was conceived without sin, unlike ourselves, and that she remained sinless throughout her life, also unlike ourselves, who do sin in our lives, it only seemed proper that she would be assumed into heaven, body, and soul. And what that means is that her body was not allowed to undergo the corruption that comes from sin and from death. So the question arises, did Mary actually die? In fact, in the Eastern tradition, this uh, feast is referred to as the Dormition, or Mary falling asleep. Right. Again, I don't. that wasn't part of the definition that she died an earthly death, but we can think of it this way. I mean, Jesus himself, who was fully human and, and also divine, he did die an earthly death. He was crucified. He died on the cross. So it does seem plausible that his mother would also die an earthly death, but then immediately be assumed body and soul in the joy and the glory of heaven. And I know that the Bible mentions two others in the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah, being taken into heaven. So there is, you know, some precedence there. That's correct. And unlike Jesus, who the Bible says ascended into heaven, indicating it was something uh, that he was did under his own power, Mary was assumed, so it's more passive. So she didn't bring her assumption about of her own will and volition, but it was rather something that God, it was a, a blessing, a gift that God bestowed upon her because of the role that she played in salvation history. And again, because she was conceived without sin and remained sinless throughout her life. In many countries, this is a holy day of obligation, not necessarily in this country. We celebrate it on the Sunday preceding it, I believe. Is that correct? No, it is actually celebrated always on August the 15th uh, this year because that date is on a Saturday because of a change that was made in the liturgical calendar when a solemnity falls on or a holy day of obligation falls on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's not a holy day of obligation. Okay, I knew there was some sort of a, a change in that, so thank you for correcting me there. Why is this important to our faith? Well, because of many reasons, but one because of the role that Mary played, so to give her that honor that that she received in being assumed body and soul into heaven, but also being of our race, the human race, you know, we say where she has gone, we hope to follow. And so, you know, our Lord has, has told us, has promised us the resurrection. So one day we hope that we will also share in the glory of heaven where our Blessed Mother Mary is and our Lord, uh, and where we hope to be one day. So that's one of the reasons why we pray to Blessed Mother, to Mary, for her intercession, that as we continue on our earthly journey, and when our earthly journey is finished, that we also will receive the resurrection of the body and, and be in the glory and the joy of heaven. The, the key word there is hope, and that's, that's what we, we put our faith, our trust, and our hope in the Lord We've got a couple of minutes left. School is about to start. And I just want to close our show out today by just talking a little bit about that. Are we ready in the Diocese of St. Petersburg? 
Oh, I believe we are, John. Uh, we, we did postpone the beginning of school for two weeks. We will begin in-classroom learning on Monday, August 24th. And that'll happen at all of our schools, although we've also made accommodation for those who would prefer to engage in online learning. If for some reason they don't feel safe or even if they have symptoms, you know, that they can still continue to learn from home. But we've taken many, many precautions. We have protocols in place at each of our schools and we'll be um, ensuring that our students are safe. Now, does that mean that, that somebody might not get sick or somebody will get sick? I think there's that possibility. There's there's that risk with whatever we do and wherever we go. But we're going to do everything we can to keep our children, our, our faculty, and our staff safe at school. Well, as we conclude our program today, would you lead us in a prayer for our schools? You know, we pray for them every year, but it seems like this year especially, we need all the prayers we can get for not only our Catholic schools, but all of our students across our country that need uh, safety and protection and for our parents and faculty and, and so forth. Sure, I'd be happy to. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we embark upon and look forward to this new academic year, in a special way, we ask your blessing upon our students, upon our faculty, teachers, and our staff. Pray that you may keep each one of us safe and healthy during this year. I ask that you grant wisdom and understanding and knowledge to each of our students, that this year may be an opportunity for them to grow in their knowledge, but also in their faith in you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.